Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. You cannot take medicinal value out of recreational cannabis. The mm-hmm. best recreational cannabis on the shelf could still wind up in the hands of somebody that needs it. It's always been medicinal, and most people have not realized that they were medicating. Mm. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. Welcome back from the Chip O'Neill Studios show. in North Cambridge, Woo-hoo. Massachusetts. It's I the Cannamom Show. So now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Season five. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. It's been going. So though today we continue on our mission of crushing that stigma around cannabis and caregivers. One can a story at a time. And before I jump into it all, I just want to give a big shout out to my, my friends at Project X. You know who you are. Jillian and Abby and especially Shannon, um, because honestly, I was not going to do another season, uh, but the ladies believed in me and uh, I don't know, encouraged me. So here we are. So thank you. You can't stop now, Joyce. That's why it's a mission. The mission continues. I know. And when I gave when I didn't give up or gave up, I don't know what that is. You give up and then it comes back. We had some awesome news, Dave. Do you hear? I was featured in the Boston magazine this summer at the really high housewives of Metro West Boston. Yes, <laughs> I saw that, and it was tremendous. You were the you were the the core of that article, by the way. You were the heart and soul. I think you were quoted more than anybody else. Well, I took her to a dispensary. The, the The journalist was not a believer until I took her out and spoke the gospel, and now she's on the other side. You did it. Another convert. Another convert. One convert at a time. And not only that, the Cannamom Show was nominated to be one of the as one of the best cannabis podcasts for an MJ Award at 
MJ BizCon in Vegas this November. It's kind of like the Oscars of cannabis. And I got my dress and my shoes already. So vote, people, vote. <laughs> Love it. Where did, where did um, their vote choice? Did you, did you say that? Where people go to vote? We have some links on my Instagram site. I will be, it's always in my newsletter. If you're joining, if you're listening and you're not part of my newsletter, please join my newsletter. You'll find out. And you can go to mj.com, I think, or MJ Awards. They're a little quiet about where you find it, but it's a two-step process just so you know. So you vote and then you have to confirm it on your email. So you have to be really committed to voting. It's not a casual thing. You have to really believe you want to vote. <laughs> yeah, I did that. And yeah. I and you're right about the process. But so it just takes a little bit of patience. But that's good. There, there There's some integrity to this. And that's why you're going to exactly. win. Make choice your, yes, make choice your number one choice. That was my motto when mm-hmm. I ran for school committee. So we'll use it again. Yay. Um, all right. And let's see. Oh, I know there's all sorts of stuff going on this summer. So Josh Lampkin, my son, we all know who he is. Yes. We got to see him be a rock star this summer down in Nashville, but he also builds guitars and he is building the Cannon Mom Show, a guitar out of hemp wood. That you might also be able to smoke out of. He hasn't finished it yet. That's you get your, your son's musical prowess and your expertise in cannabis all encompassed into one object. I love it. So it should be done in December. And I am thinking it's going to be some kind of giveaway connection with Nikan. Are you listening, Nikan? So yeah, you could have a chance to see it, win it, smoke out of it. I don't know. It should be done. So just keep an eye out for that. And let's see what else. One more thing. Oh, so my can of romance. We talked to last last episode of season four. I read the first chapter of my can of romance. You remember? Anyway, do, it's, so, it it's done. Yep. Yes, it was there. It's done. It's, she's taking a break. I am going to be releasing it as blogs over the next I don't know. It's like 20 chapters, 20 weeks. So if you're interested and keep reading it, I will repost chapter one. And then every week in my newsletter and on the site will be another chapter, like like an old school, old school serial, like from these magazines, chapters. I love it. It's 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 appropriate for a serial because I want to know what happens next. You do. All right. Well, listen, everything is old as new on this show. We're like very retro. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Well, let's let's bring back reading. let's, Let's not forget the groundbreaking podcast that was serial. A story presented in, yeah. in many different parts. Yeah. Just like this. Yes. I think I listened to that in seventh grade. Anyways, I remember in seventh grade, I had a teacher who liked to listen to old school radio. Maybe that's why I was influenced to be a podcaster. I don't know. Education, it's a strange thing. It's all in there. All right. So um, so that's everything about me. I know. I like to talk a little about me. And then one more thing. This is coming out right before the Jewish holidays. Lishana Tova, my friends, as we begin the Jewish New Year of 57. 83. I'm not going to make the joke Dave, this year. Dave, you have to be a joke. Uh, you I'm have fine. to. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know it's 5783, but for months, I'm going to be writing 5782 on my checks. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so in honor of that, I am adding a new segment today. I am calling Shoei. Okay. Oh, what? Oh. That, was, that was my room <laughs> shot. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Okay. So moving forward. Do you have a Havanagila there too? Today, we are adding a new segment I am calling Jewish Cannabis News. Oh, it's a challenge. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? I know all of our listeners are doing the horror. Hysterical. All right. You never know what you're going to get here. Um, Shout out. I'm giving a shout out to a new publication this month called Cannabis Jew Magazine. That is really its name. Um, Cannabis Jew Magazine is a monthly digital magazine published on the website www.cannabisjew.com. Um, this highlights Jewish contributions to cannabis research, cultivation, tech, advocacy, 
and it provides a resource for cannabis professionals to learn more about Jewish culture and Israel's national medical cannabis program, which was featured on CNN with Sanjay Gupta when he was talking about it this summer. So it's a whole thing over there. When I would talk to my own mother, I'd always bring up the Jewish connection. Sometimes that helped, even though she still didn't believe me. All right. So check out their first issue on their website, CannabisJewMagazine.com. Who knew? I always do call it my new JCC, my new Jewish cannabis connection. Yes. You, you need to patent. You need to copyright that. That's yours. That's your creation. That's my. I've been saying that for five so, years. All right. Yes. So Mazel tov. A little Mazel tov. Yes. Pot, politics, and religion. That's what we like on the show. All right. So Dave, we're good to see you. I'm looking forward to a really fun season five because this, this, we just went over hemp guitars, Jews and cannabis. And I don't know. What else did we talk about? Me. And Josh. <laughs> and Josh. Did you talk about Josh? And Josh. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't never talk about Josh. Josh Lamkin. You can see him in Nashville. Girls screaming at him. It's really bizarre. I can't believe I created him. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Today, we do have a show with some great guests. Today, we have two guests whose stories are featured in Volume 2. We're on YouTube now, so I'm going to put this up. Volume 2 in the Courage and Cannabis series, The Triumphant Stories. Um, this is now a number one bestseller in seven, I think, Amazon categories. We can check that out. Um, both of today's guests are caregivers. But they are dads. Woo! Yes, the Canon Mom Show is launching season five with two inspiring cannot dad stories this time. What do you think of that? Huh? Yes, yes, yes. Ah. <laughs> we love it. I feel like I'm at Wimbledon. Okay, we have the father of two, a former All-American football player who was recruited to try out for the NFL and is an inspiring advocate for athletes in cannabis as well as president of Green Environmental Outreach, a nonprofit group focused on providing cost-free avenues to health and wellness for Ohio's historically disenfranchised communities and neighborhoods. Our other candidate is joining us from Michigan, where his journey includes cannabis for his own healing, for medical patients in Michigan, and as an advocate for a good medical cannabis policy for all the citizens of Michigan. This is going to be a great conversation, so sit back, Get yourself a cup of tea, roll yourself a joint, and get ready to meet Gerald Moore Jr. and Rick Anstis, authors, athlete, advocate, and just a couple of candidates. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having Hello. me. Oh, you're excited. All right, let's start with Rick. Can you just state your name, the legal status of cannabis in your state, and why, just one little why, you know that cannabis has helped you be a better parent? Well, Michigan's legal status is recreational, medical and recreational. Both, right? Since what, what year? 17 and 18. And those were okay, so, petition-driven yeah. citizen initiatives went all the way to the point of the petitions coming in twice. We had to do them twice. We were denied and about 100,000 of our signatures were denied at one point. And then we got it back and, and for recreational, got it passed through with 325,000 uh, signatures, I believe. Wow. So- and yeah, as far as parenting-wise, wow, does it really give you a better perspective? And going into parenting for me personally, I, I've always tried to maintain my, my youthful mindset when I was younger, um, thinking that might help me be a better father, you know, as well. So I think cannabis helps us stay in a more youthful mindset, remembering what we went through in, as children, whether it was good, bad, otherwise. And then that perspective kind of helped guiding our decisions with our kids currently. 
So yeah, it that's, that's a that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. All right, and Daryl, what is the legal status of cannabis where you are? And a hint or a tip or why you think it's good as a parent? Yeah. So Gerald Moore Jr. here. And just before I start, we we had a stillbirth two years ago. So we like to say three children, mm-hmm. but we have two here on earth and one in heaven. And it's something that obviously as a parent and being in this space, it allows me to talk about it and share it because it's something that doesn't get shared a lot, especially in the African-American community, which this is a very, it's an epidemic. It's happening more than we talk about. So uh, if you want to learn more about that, we have Miles's Mission, which you can go uh, follow that online. It's a nonprofit that we started up to provide resources and education about stillbirth uh, in, in communities and provide resources. So uh, on that, we're in Ohio. So Ohio has medical. Uh, we've had medical since 2016. Uh, we're pushing for recreational adult use uh, with an initiative, uh, legalize uh, marijuana like alcohol. Uh, so we pushed that. We just got a uh, ballot initiative push for November. So we'll be voting for that. Oh. So if you hear this, if you're in Ohio, get out and vote. Vote yes to legalize for adult use. And I believe cannabis makes me a better person because it allows me to have a different perspective. It allows me to relax and just think and be like, like Rick said, be be useful. I feel like I, I've transitioned from that kid stage to adult stage. Uh, and you realize how rigid adults can be and get. And I never wanted to be that. And I, unfortunately, being an athlete, I've been put in leadership positions. So I've been around older adults while still being a kid. So I get to see that, oh, adults, they're just older. They don't necessarily have all the answers. <laughs> so it's, it's, really it's like I'm, a balance. That's a, uh, that's a, again, we talk about this a lot of parenting and mothers, but again, it's the same thing for dads. Obviously, it's a calm presence that your kids want you to be there for them, and this helps you be there. All right. All right. Let's talk with Rick. What was your relationship with cannabis growing up? And really, how did this impact your cannabis journey? And then, obviously, the same question for Gerald. Younger use. Uh, I was an athlete for most of my youth, I'd say up until high high school. And then about 18, when I graduated, I started using cannabis. And so I would say the I, I grew it. So like it was obviously we were in the 90s, right? So we had the deer. 90, program. Okay. You're both 90s kids, right? You grew, grew up under deer. That's a yeah. 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 And it was actually that's a common story. Yeah, it was actually introduced to me by my very first patient which was my elementary principal. So 20 years later, I, he turns out to be my first, my first cancer patient, my first patient as a caregiver. And he's still here today and doing, and doing well. And it was just a remarkable circle for that to happen. Have that is impression given to me as a child and, and have to walk through that and then come, come back to be able to help. And that's what one of the times that I had a realization of how, how cannabis and I were lined up and that was my path. Some of those things kind of happened along the way. And yeah, as a younger man, I didn't use it a lot, but when I did do it before it was legal and before we understood its medicinal values, I did, I went to it instead of the alcohol. So I was getting in trouble with drinking and I just like, you know what? I can smoke a joint and I don't have to drink six beers and worry about driving. It's all good. Like I'm going to be a pothead, I guess. (laughs) Like I'm going to go... Uh, they can call me whatever they want, whatever. I'm throw me out there in society or whatever. That's fine. I was in construction anyway. It worked fine. <laughs> right, so you, so okay, so you were an athlete. So you were an athlete younger, and then you 
sort of when you stopped being an athlete, you started using it. But Gerald, your story is almost the opposite. You were you were always an athlete and consumed it more as you became more of an athlete. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty much coming out the womb, I've been an athlete. My dad was a superstar athlete in high school. And I, I have teenage parents. So my dad was about 17 years old when I was born, getting ready to go. He wasn't the best student. So he didn't get scholarships, offers, and things of that nature. So I'm um, at the around the age of six as uh, when they put me into tackle football. And I was too young to actually be playing, uh, come to find out. And so they ended up having to get me removed. Uh, and so I picked back up at around the age seven. Um, and so uh, we moved from New York to D.C. and it became very competitive. You could see like training, getting your kids in certain AAU programs, certain communities. It became it was heavy at an early age. So I was heavily involved. So I ended up going to a private school called St. Jerome's, which was a feeder school to the Matha High School, which is an all boys private school, which is known for football, basketball, baseball. And so it was pretty much you send your kid to this school. He has a good chance to go to this school. And then that has a good right. chance of leading to Division One and pro. I didn't end up going to the Matha. I went to a rival school which is St. John's in BC and they were co-ed. I wanted to, I didn't want to go to all boys school. I was like, I want to be around girls. <laughs> um, but <laughs> in terms of cannabis, my parents didn't consume. It was a dry household. Uh, my parents worked for the federal government. So they were basically squares. Plus my dad and, or my granddad was alcoholic and he grew and smoked. And I didn't know any of this until later on. So cannabis has always been around. I grew up in the hood, so it was just something natural. You see people doing it. You see cigarettes, you see alcohol. So I never thought anything big until the D.A.R.E. program. And then private school, we really didn't have D.A.R.E. program. They didn't really talk about it. I mean, they're drinking alcohol, I think, <laughs> in mass, right? So you have some wine. So we didn't really talk about it. I went to public school for a few years, so it was there. But once I got to high school, that's when I started to consume. I had a few friends that didn't play. And they were like, man, yeah, I think you need to smoke. Yeah, I mean, you're already funny, but I think if you smoke, you'd be so much funnier. And so I started to consume my junior year. And this was after I had already committed to OU. I had a full ride. And so I was like, man, this makes you feel amazing. I didn't feel the same feeling as being drunk because I was already drinking too. But I felt my body. I was already dealing with ailments. Wrists was hurting, shoulder. Because football is a very contact sport, especially right. in high school I went to. So. You start to feel it. I broke my ankle my sophomore year. So I had injuries and things. And so I started to feel like how it made me feel. Also, I was dealing with anxiety. I was dealing with stress. Because going to this elite private school, you're dealing with the pressures of your friends going to Harvard, Yale, all these different places, and then wanting to get a scholarship. I knew my parents couldn't probably afford to send me to college because I have siblings and I didn't want them to have to take on that student loan. I didn't want to take on that burden. So that was kind of the process. I began consuming. It made me feel good. And I've been consuming ever since. All right. And then so just in terms of that, I know you went on to play college sports. So there is always drug testing. You do tell a story. If There's a story in the book. If you want to learn more. There's a story in the book about like what had happened during that year. But you also came to the understanding probably, I, I hear the story a lot. People like the opiate cannabis debate. You were an athlete, a professional or a college athlete of a high level. So you could see what people were being prescribed, but you could feel for yourself that this was working for you. So how did that almost, was that a conversation you could have with your coach? I mean, was that a conversation you could have with anybody? Were you keeping it secret and just not taking opiates? Like how was that working in terms of you getting injured or what they wanted, what the healthcare services they wanted to offer you as opposed to what yeah. you were kind of doing yourself? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I kept my cannabis consumption under wraps until we had legalization in 2016. And, and just what year? Just so my, my listeners know, what year were you in college? Just so you can get a kind of context. Uh, so I was in college from 2008 to 2012, 2013, season. So I was five okay. years. I, I was a, a redshirt freshman All-American my sophomore year. So like football and sports were weird. I was a freshman. I redshirted, which means I didn't travel with the team. I just practiced. And then the next year, I was considered a redshirt freshman and I became an All-American. I was top 10 in the nation in interceptions out of all colleges. So Ohio wow. State, all the big ones. So that kind of gave me some clout, I would say. But I was consuming my entire time in college, but I had to keep it under wraps. It was illegal. You would get drug tested by the NCAA multiple times a year. You get tested by the school. And so in college, some of the rules have changed and are changing in sports. And that's why I come from a sports vantage point, because I feel like sports has a huge impact on culture. And so oh, when you yeah. go, go to college, college athletes don't really have any power. It's how these universities can make billions of dollars and the players can still be broke. So you get tested by the NCAA and usually they test for steroids and street drugs. They will also test if you have ADHD medicine and you're not prescribed that and you didn't tell them at the beginning of the year and you test no. positive for that, you could be suspended. So you always have that fear. And so they will let you know, like typically a week or two in advance when the NCAA was coming. If you were getting drug tested by the school, it was just random. They would just call you and say, hey, we need you to come by the training facility today after practice and do a P test. And they will literally. But you could have been drunk, but you could have been drunk the night before and they would have been fine. Or you could have been taking oh, yeah. opiates and they were, were prescribing the you. Before. But you couldn't use and the so cannabis. So you could you could see that you could see that kind of spinning around the university. Oh, yeah. Life. That's yeah. Crazy. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. my degree is in healthcare, So I was studying oh, okay. healthcare. <laughs> so I'm studying yes. Western medicine. I my I had a internship at a dermatology office where I'm, I'm going into sales meeting with drug reps and they're coming in showing like, all right, we're going to give you this medicine. Plus we have a team doctor, but anytime somebody gets hurt, you have a team doctor. And so they can write you a script right there. So you're seeing the pills float around. The, I mean, you got 120 guys on a football team. You got guys 300 pounds all the way to 170 that are dealing with pain and injuries. You get hurt in practice. You get hurt lifting weights. You get hurt yeah. Uh, you get sick. So the pills are always around. And so, but you can see the difference. You, I mean, the majority of my guys, my teammates consume cannabis. I would say it's 70 to 75% consume cannabis, alcohol, but then you have the mixture of cocaine. You have the mixture of all heavier drugs, but you see the opioids because it's way, it's, it's much more accessible to get the opioids yeah. and say, Hey, and, and, so and, it's, and it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like culturally acceptable. Like you're in this culture, like oh, you say, yeah, football culture. And that's like influencing. If the, if the guys are taking it, the doctors prescribe it, that's their culture. But that, I mean, that's yeah, shifting in terms like of like medical. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So you were like working this thing, you're doing this in college. And so, meanwhile, Rick, you're doing like a different pathway. So, this is so interesting because, again, cannabis is state specific, locality specific. Ohio's in a really different place than Michigan. So, you, you were in part of the medical program, which is I, I love that you're fighting for more access to that and trying to keep that part of the industry going. But how how were you involved with the growing? How were you finding your patients? Why do you think Michigan's program is going to be a little different than other programs in the country? You know, I I keep hoping that each state will pick up the best of each state, but it seems like we're picking up the worst. Yeah. So, <laughs> Michigan well, seems to be doing something okay. So, yeah. Well, yeah, as everything unrolled, it seemed like every state wanted to take their own angle at the things they, they might have 
kind of looked at structures of states prior to them, but they didn't necessarily take all the pros and cons and kind of things that maybe they already figured out. They, they yep. just made their own choices. And I was concerned with that a little bit with Michigan, but what I what the power is, where our real power is, is that going back to the petition-based initiatives, when you have that many people sign and you have that many t- testimonies of truth in, in mm-hmm. absolute demise, but in the doctor's eyes for c- certain citizens, and then they're still standing there today, cancer-free, there's no denying those testimonies. You can't deny that. The child that is epileptic and you put the oil in their mouth and it stops a grand mal seizure in seconds. There's not a medicine on the earth that can do that. So how do you deny it? And in that, I think, is what gave our structure of our medical program so much validity because we knew we were coming from that place. So we got five patients. We get 12 plants per patient. And that allows for the diversity of the medicine that some people need. You might need rheumatoid arthritis medicine, which might be topicals and maybe consuming cannabis, however edible or uh, smoking it. And then you might need like an RSO where it takes tons of product to create ounces of material. Oil. So, so, you, so I have a question. I've, I've always questioned about like how this works. So the caregivers in Michigan, I mean, again, you're the plant, the terpenes, you know, the cannabinoid, you can see what the issues are. You've had enough experience. How do you figure out with your patients, do they come with you saying, I've tried this kind of product and it's worked for me. Can you recreate it? Are you, you suggesting products for them when you were doing this? When did that I, actually work? Yeah. When I was doing this, I was kind of all encompassing. So I would, they would come to me with their particulars, such as like rheumatoid arthritis or cancer or epilepsy or whatever. And then I would try and grow that particular plant through its strain genetics that we knew what terpenes and, and THC values and CBGs and CBDs that grew in it and grow that plant out, test it. And that's where the truth come in for me is I had lab tests that says I had X amount of terpene levels, X amount of CBG levels. And then I administered this medicine to the patient. We saw the result and I didn't do it just once, but I did it repeatedly until we had a, an average of an idea of what this strain was doing for that particular thing. So intensive. That's actually, that is amazing. That's like the, yeah. the science part of this is amazing because they keep saying there aren't enough studies. And I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, pharmaceutical headquarters. Everyone's talking about we can't really create this. We haven't done studies, but everyone I talk to is healing themselves. So that's how it that's how it's working. Partly is you're literally being the scientist and you're creating data. Yeah. yeah. Also kind of scary for me, too, in that regard, because here I sit as just a common citizen, not even a, I, I am a high school graduate, but not a college graduate by any means. Um, and. And here I am doing something so val- so powerful. But luckily, I knew enough about science to at least imply that method and know that when I feed the plant in day 32, that it's going to spike the mercine level. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to pull away from my phosphorus because I don't want too much mercine because it's creating anxiety in my patient. Things like that. Wow, so- that that is a really detailed explanation. I never heard again i know nothing about the human body i don't know how an aspirin works but now i sort of understand how cannabis works in terms of the receptors but now understanding the importance of terpenes has been a big conversation and talking about mercy at that level i don't like when people people still being marketed as sativa indica whatever it is but this idea it's much more complicated and especially when you're seeing packaging now with a bazillion data points on it that you really can't read but they should be testing the 
the terpene profile. That is a really important part of this, right? Well, I, yeah, and I think that the remarkable part of this plant, the way I've always kind of seen it in my mind is like a computer. So we have the receptors for these things all over our bodies, our major organs. And when we introduce the various different combinations, I mean, endless combinations of terpenes between strains and, and CBG and right? Just that, that's, that number is astronomical, what you can create. And it happens in nature. And then when it goes into the body, it knows like, okay, we need this, this, and this, and we're going to the knee pain. We'll see you. We'll be there. And that's remarkable. We, what, why doesn't that intrigue a scientist? <laughs> it it should. That? All right. And then, all right. So your passion for science helping healing has also led you to policy work. Can you tell me who the Michigan Weedsters are? And what you're actually doing out there in Michigan? Yeah, so that was a that's a really unique group. That when we started, we had some uh, corporate lobbyists and companies pushing bill for bills that were uh, considered safety act bills in regards to caregivers and how safe we were, and we were unregulated and untested and and such. And they were trying to abolish our medical marijuana program and just just have a state ran medical and and recreational. That didn't work because we created a group called Michigan Weedsters and numerous other groups throughout the state that rose up and came to these committee meetings, spoke on the floor against these these bills, and really did the legwork that needs to be done to get the rent, the representation and the legislators to understand these things because they're naive. And that's what we really understood as we developed this group and we, we went to Lansing and talked to these lawmakers. We understood that they didn't understand it. They, they, they don't understand the medical side. They didn't necessarily understand the recreational side. So our job is to protect those patient and caregiver rights that we currently have, leave in place that 2016 law, and, and try and correct and navigate the 2018 recreational law to be a, a standard for federal for the federal to look at, right? We want we want to be that great example of what cannabis can can be, and I think the only way we're going to be able to truly do that, I'm working with a gentleman running for Senate um, now, Hill Harper in the state here, and he believes as well is bringing cannabis first on the federal talks that it's medicinal. We talk about it being a medical plant first and how valid and truthful that is. And then we can place recreational around that because if we just go recreational, what we're seeing here in Michigan is we're losing that idea. We're losing the, the thought about the medical thing. And that, that's not fair to hundreds of thousands of patients. Um, it's minimizing the program in hope, and I feel like in hopes to deplete the program completely which is, again, not what cannabis is. We're not recreate. It's not recreational. It's just medical first. And I often tell lawmakers. It's, it's, all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all health and wellness. It is all health and wellness. And again, the policy, I love that you say that they're naive. That it's like, who's whispering in their ears? So if we only have business whispering in their ears, that's what they're going to understand. And they're just going to go that way with whatever they believe. But it's the stories. These stories are really changing yeah. hearts and minds. This is these small stories that are opening up the idea that this is not what we were told. This can be a tool of government. It doesn't have to be a weapon. And that to have state senators and people coming up and coming with policies, like really talking about it, think how we could cure the opiate issue if we could get Medicaid or Medicare to, to finance cannabis. It would change and everything. What don't, and what we don't need is a Schedule 3 idea. 
that is the worst place we could possibly place this because actually can we just talk about that really quickly before i go on your own personal stories all right i have a d schedule or a bus person maybe shred the schedule create a new thing for it this is hemp this is one plant so can you explain why schedule three is bad I, I different people are contacting people keep asking me what i think in my personal opinion of course that it would be a bad place to put it because it the only way you can obtain a schedule three is through pharma big pharma that's exactly who we're fighting and you do uh, realize that big pharma also now is with marlboro and they have a plan they have a plan to cigarettes are going on the wayside real soon and there's a really ugly thing going on and that's, again, not what this plan is. If, if it went that way and it was taken away from the people, I believe that we would see a states rise up and go to the Capitol to, on Washington like, like, and protest such a thing. I know I would. Um, All right, cannabis politics. I like that. All right, again, I am not into the Schedule 3. I think it's, again, I do believe what you're saying, that it's just another way for government to control it and not give us access. So, All right, let's move on to Canada stories. All right, Gerald. The three children, two with you. How old are they now? Uh, Noah is six and Harper's three. will be four in December. Okay. And I know your wife is a public figure, so you're sort of a, you're a dad, yeah. you're there a lot. So just kind of you talk oh, yeah. about like how you, how it works in your life. If you have any Canada stigma, any dad to come up to you and talk to you about like what's going on with that world of yours. Yeah. I mean, so I pretty much stay low key out, out in public. My wife is a news anchor. And so yeah, it's interesting because here in Ohio, you, I mean, we, we operate in between a lot of different spaces, right? We go through the suburbs and go to the hood. Things are different everywhere you go. Uh, our son is uh, in first grade. Uh, so we, I'll have conversations with some of the dads that we, there's one veteran uh, who my son, uh, him and his son are friends. Um, so we have the conversation, but again, I'm African-American in some of these spaces where it is not privy to just be out there. I don't know what people's ulterior motives are, X, Y, and Z. So I, I build communities through social media and I began having the conversation because in Ohio, we're still very like, everybody's afraid. Like you can only consume in-house. There's not really a lot of conversation around it. Besides Dr. Bridget, I don't see many other doctors actually talking about it in a, in a way of medication. We have all these opioid programs. But at the state level, our governor has clearly said that he doesn't want cannabis. And so alcohol's through the roof. So it's like we have all these different programs attacking each other. Uh, but as a father, it's kind of tough being a stay-at-home dad to a you know public figure and myself being a public figure because I played sports at a high level. So I understand what media is. I understand how media works. I understand how they put narratives out there. I, under, I hear how they talk about marijuana or cannabis. I see how people's character has been assassinated behind them consuming cannabis, especially from an athletic standpoint. And that's why I was quiet for a while behind it. And then once we legalized, I was like, man, this is my purpose because I've seen what cannabis can do for not just me, but what it's doing for a ton of people, uh, especially being from a marginalized group of people. Healthcare, we don't. Uh, go for healthcare. We don't get the screenings that we need. We don't have doctors that typically look like us. Um, so when you look at the healthcare system, it's been against somebody like myself. Um, so I've had to take on that holistic uh, lifestyle of understanding my body, understanding what I need. I rarely go to the doctor. I rarely get sick. Um, I, I take very good care of myself. 
But again, we live in a system where everybody's so accustomed to uh, eating what they're eating or doing what they're doing. I perform at a high level because I'm an athlete. I've been training since I was in eighth grade. I've had private trainers. I've had nutritionists. I've had all the things to take care of my body. I've had massage therapists. I've had all these things. So I understand what it means to take care of my body at a high level form. But then when it comes down to mental health, what does cannabis do for that? What does it do for anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD? Um, I see it often in our community. We don't have these conversations because we don't have the therapist. It's not easy to talk about um, growing up. How, we, how we're taught to grow up is you suck it up. Like that, you just don't have to deal with it. We've always been beneath. Like you don't, you can't go to your mom and be like, hey man, I'm, I'm dealing with this. No, suck it up. We all had to deal with it. Um, and that's just the nature. So now that we talk about it, with Rick talking about it being medicinal, that's one of the toughest places to be because how do you educate somebody who's been consuming it recreationally, but they don't understand they were, they're consuming it for a medicinal purpose. They're doing it because they, they're in physical pain. They're doing it because they have gone through traumatic experience. They're doing it because they are coping with something. And that's, I think, when we talk about culture, it's, it's important to always bring that reference because, yes, I have a, a degree. I did go to college. My parents are college educated. So again, being Black, African-American in America, I'm still an anomaly because most of us don't go to college, especially not PWIs. And so I've seen things. I've seen how the system works for some people, how it doesn't work for other people. And fortunately enough for me, I've been put in a position of power and influence because I was a captain. I was All-American. I'm on TV. I get to talk to media. But again, you can't talk to media about weed. Like, oh, weed is helping me prepare for this game. I smoked before the game. I smoke after the game. I would smoke during the game. During the game. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of people are like, oh, weed makes you lazy. It makes you this. It makes you that. And I'm like, but, uh, but, I mean, I no but you exist. But you, but Gerald, you're there. Like you exist. You are an example. And, and you're like, yeah. you're an example for your children as well. And you're this idea that I, I mean, I say this myself. I play tennis. I wear pearls. I, I spent the past week watching the U.S. Open. Like, I don't know anything about football, honestly, but I can tell you all the rules of tennis. And I am right. part of this world that they wouldn't necessarily say this is a stoner. I mean, I, that whole like label is just ridiculous. But cannabis right. is part of my daily routine. It really is. And I exist. So you can see that I'm not lying to you. And you exist. And Rick right. exists. This is kind of like powerful. And your children see it. And they won't be influenced by the D.A.R.E. program because right. they see who you are. So it's very. And I have I a mean, conversation so they with my children. Do, do they know what the plant is yet? Do they know what? Uh, yeah. Do they have like so the children's books of- yet? Yeah, all that. Both of my yeah. kids, we have conversation daily about it. I mean, I even had to have a conversation with my wife because my wife knew me before she got big, before I got big, and she knew I was consuming. But obviously becoming a TV personality on the news, you got to yeah. look at demographic, who's watching the news, right? So 45, 50 to 80 year olds, but it's not my gender. I'm 34. I'm a millennial. I'm like, burn the whole thing down. Like my parents yeah. were the federal government, like- but I couldn't, and I was smoking like, come on, man. Like, you got to burn the whole thing down at this point. You talk about deschedule, reschedule. Like, no, you have to deschedule it. This is something that's an herb. It should be growing everywhere. We don't even talk about hemp, but it's like, Which what is do we even so tapping? much bigger. When we talk right. about plastic, hemp, but it exists. It's, yeah. it's here, doing that thing. All right, so you're doing, so you're the being the visible dad. Oh, I've just lost Rick for a second. Yeah. I'm actually running up on time. I can't believe it. All right, let's just quickly go through courage and cannabis, and then I got to, like, chop off. All right, Rick. Courage and cannabis, so good. I was in volume one. You guys are in volume two. 
it's been an amazing community, I'm sure for you. Can you just talk a little bit about, I don't know, what has your been experience of becoming a published author? Is it what you expected? And uh, how are people reacting to the stories that you are sharing and other people are sharing in your community? Yeah. Um, real quick, I just want to go back to Gerald. And what you say to those people is that you cannot take the medicinal value out of recreational cannabis. So that's the message I'm really trying to spread is the -hmm. best recreational cannabis on the shelf could still wind up in the hands of somebody that needs it desperately. So therefore, it's always been medicinal and most people have not realized that they were medicating. It's simply it. But it is a hard conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes, as far as the book, what an experience, like what a blessing that got to Bridget when I did and, and have her ask me to be in the book. I, I thought it was very easy for me, uh, kind of uh, weirdly to be able to, to write my story because I can, I can speak it so fluently. I know it well. Right. So it wasn't terrible. That part of it, it was a neat experience to kind of go through that process and, and edit and figure out what looked right and things like that. The response I've been getting is has been amazing, mainly for some of these other stories, because it's great that I'm in it and I really enjoy my story and things like that. But I am so enthralled by everybody else's testimonies and life experiences that I get bored with mine. <laughs> so it's like it's really great to see so many others because there are they just keep unfolding and in different positions like Gerald, for instance, has to be more reserved, whereas I'm loud as I can be. Look at this hat. <laughs> like I got, I got plants growing in my house, which is legal. And even my children here, completely legal here in the state of Michigan, we're allowed 12 recreational plants. So, so with my children, there's conversation about my older children. I have a 13, 14, and then I have a three and a five and the three and a five. Oh, right. just, yep. Yeah. They're just going to know it as just always been around it. Just a you know, vegetable, right. right? Older ones know it pretty much just as medicine. They've seen me help and heal, facilitate the healing, the ability to heal people. Because I never like to say that I heal anybody. I grow the plant and this and that, but it is the plant. And it's also the, the person that makes the, yeah, it's the, makes the choice. So I like to be the vessel that allows that person to make that choice. But yeah, my, my olders completely understand it as, as a, a plant that helps people. And breaking that stigma with our kids is huge. Huge, huge, generational. And all right, Daryl, and like, how's it been? You're already a public figure, so you're just out there more. You doing any book signings? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not yet, not yet. I, I stay pretty reserved because of the kid, but it's been, it's been a true blessing. I've always wanted to be a published author. Uh, I wanted to do the first one, but we were going through the loss of our son. <laughs> My daughter's banging on the door. Um, but... <laughs> this is a real show, people. Live yeah, children, we, dogs. Come in, come in. <laughs> Uh, Come on in. Welcome. It's, I like having very, kids on the show. <laughs> yeah, my my daughter's crazy. She's let me go get it real quick. But yeah, it's been it's been a great experience. I, I was it. blessed to be a part of it. But I I've been a blessed a part of be a part of the group. And it's just been a blessing to to share my story publicly. I was quiet for so long on dealing with so many things. So to be able to share this, uh, because I feel like it's a it's a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of why I've been able to be successful. Because it's allowed me to stay calm, cool, and collected. Playing sports at a high level, it's not easy. Having to deal with the media is not easy. 
and, and then being so-called the leader of your community where everybody going to a PWI, my school was 30,000 students. We have 400 black students. You get on TV and now you're supposed to be the guy for the whole black community. And it's like, no, like I can't, you know, we, we're so diverse, but also I have to keep my image clean because if I fail, then that may mean there's less opportunity for somebody else. If I that come is out a, that, and- Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> right. And I don't think people really understand, like when we get to this, we're like, when we start getting in front of like Caucasian white people on a professional level, like we have been consuming cannabis our entire life. My aunts, my uncles, my cousins, they're not even in the industry. They can't afford to get in the industry. They can't afford to lose their job. All right. You know? So guys- uh, a little interruption. What is the best way to reach you? Rick, if someone wants to learn more about your story, of course, they can get their copy, own copy of Courage and Cannabis. But how do they reach you? Best way for you and then for Gerald. And then we're going to log off. Yeah, I am uh, Mr. Fungi underscore 420 on Instagram. And then just Rick Anstis on, on Facebook is easy way to get a hold of me. Okay. And Gerald? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Gerald Moore Jr. Or you can find me pretty much on any social media platform. You can Google Google me. I have different platforms, so that's the best word. All right, and that's it. That's our show for today. It's going to be a great season five, if this is any indication. So for my guest today, authors in the best-selling anthology, Courage and Cannabis, Gerald Moore Jr. and Rick Antis, and of course, my bro David Jazz, and our Canna Mom Show team. That now includes Kristen Souza managing our marketing and social media. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. We are. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women and men building the emerging cannabis industry so that together we can crush that stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.